the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. They want to get my Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Another gold bump in honor of Senator Goldbars Menendez. I'm joined by Representative French Hill from Arkansas. Representative Hill is one of the smart guys because he's on the Intel Committee. That's handpicked, and the Republicans are always serious about that. He's also on Foreign Affairs and Financial Services. Our old friend John Campbell used to serve on Financial Services. That's one of the smart committees. So, Representative Hill, welcome back. Good to have you. But you are a Vanderbilt grad, so we're not going to talk about football. Seriously, you lost a Wake Forest in the University of Las Vegas. The, does that how's that go down with the Commodore Nation? Boy, it's uh, we're always waiting for golf season. <laughs> Co- Congressman, the House is going to come up with a solution, or the government's going to shut down. What's it going to be? Look, Hugh, if we want to be strong, if we want to lock in the wins that we got in the debt ceiling negotiation, when we put forward a plan that actually spit uh, cut spending year over year, change the regulatory focus, encourage more people back into the workforce. We need to pass these uh, 11 remaining appropriations bills. And that was not gotten to over the summer, even though, now think about this, Hugh, even though each of those bills is written at a spending level below the debt ceiling deal and each one locks in conservative policies, it's really uh, so frustrating to me that those have been delayed from coming to the House floor, including twice over the last week by a handful of members when they're missing this big picture. Lock in the winds, cut spending, reduce regulations, get poor people back in the workforce, get the spotlight back on Joe Biden's failures and off. Uh, this now, uh, Congressman Hill, I don't expect you to speak ill of a colleague, but I can. Congressman Gates wants to be governor of Florida. Congressman Maryland native Matt Rosendale wants to be senator from Montana. Uh, Ralph Norman, Congressman Ralph Norman, wants to be senator from South Carolina, going to run against Lindsey Graham. And Congressman Dan Bishop wants to be the attorney general of North Carolina. So I understand self-interest. Those guys have no interest in governing. But do they really want to bring down the Republican majority? Because they're going to get crushed if they do this. Right. Uh, by <clears throat> by this kind of, of uh, tactic, you're going to end up with a Biden-Schumer a uh, clean debt ceiling deal and with spending levels, uh, certainly at the uh, Biden-McCarthy level, but weaker policies, weaker policies, because in order to be the strongest negotiator, get the most conservative win, we need to pass the appropriations bills. That's why McCarthy's plan this week of trying to get uh, the rest of the bills across the floor, at least 70% of discretionary spending, plus plus a four-week short-term stopgap spending measure measure that cuts spending, repeat, cuts spending for that one month, and puts border in the spotlight by putting H.R. 2 on, there is no conservative that should vote no on that. And this Uh, is just uh, arguing against ourselves. It's a huge mistake. 
Now, Congressman Hill, I call him now St. Kevin. I've known the speaker for a long time, and now I'm going to have him nominated to uh, be considered for sainthood because that is a difficult caucus to deal with. When you've got four members who are leading the Knucklehead Caucus, and my buddy Ken Buck wants a CNN contract, there really isn't any appeal to their self-interest. How do you move them? I mean, are you going to have to use Democrat votes? And can, and can Speaker McCarthy remain Speaker if he uses Democrat votes? Well, I think that's why we have to try every single day to put a bill on the floor and find out that, as you say, this small group, as the tyranny of the tiny, as I describe it, is violating the majority of the majority because they're going to hurt the conservative cause. They'll cause us to lose the House. And that's certainly not in the interest of the conservative cause when we're on the cusp, potentially, of beating Biden in the presidential election and winning the Senate back. It's ridiculous. Yeah, if former President Trump gets reelected and the House switches to Democrat, they will impeach him in the first week. Do these allegedly Trump-supporting congressmen, and it's Norman, it's Maryland native Matt Rosendale who's running for Senate in Montana, it's Ralph Norman, and it's Matt. Have they heard from the former president that he wants to be impeached again? Because they sure are acting like they want him impeached again. Well, look, they don't even, they spin what he says now. President Trump last week said, use the power of the purse to get control of Joe Biden's uh, $2 trillion of extra spending. I agree. That's what the debt ceiling does, and that's what these spending bills do, and that's why we have to get them across the House floor. He did not say, he, Trump, did not say, shut the government down and act like knuckleheads. He said, use the power of the purse to get the most conservative deal, get this country back on track. I agree. That's what we could do if we had those four people uh, assist us get these bills across the floor this week. Well, I, don't, I just their their incentives are to get ink. And I mean, their incentives are not the incentives to govern. And I don't know how hot it gets in the caucus. Can you tell us that our members of the caucus about had it with these guys? There's nothing yeah. you can do because they're running for statewide office. But if they had it and expressed it. Well, I think they have had it and expressed it in blunt in, uh, terms, uh, including calling them out that if you vote against the rule on the House floor, you're working with the minority party. You're working with Democrats when you do that. That is not acting as a member of the majority. And I think you're seeing uh, the, the country respond, too. Look at Moody's comments yesterday. Look at the VIX up today, 3%. Look at the 10-year Treasury rate up over 4.5%. This is going in the wrong direction when we should be taking a win right now of cutting spending 24 over 23, getting better rules and regulations in place, countering Joe Biden's bad policies, and, as I say, encouraging more people back to work through our welfare reforms. These are classic conservative Republican wins, and we're squandering the opportunity. Snatching uh, victory, uh, defeat from the jaws of victory is kind of a Republican specialty in the House. So <laughs> let's, let's focus on that for a moment. When do you get a test vote today or tomorrow on whether or not the four will move or they will stay for? They've got more than four right now, but you've got serious people like Chip Roy who are not playing these games. Will the Freedom Caucus bring whatever persuasive influence they have to bear on them? Well, we're going to bring a rule. We uh, The Rules Committee met uh, Friday and all day Saturday, so we'll be bringing a rule up either tonight or early in the morning. That will be the first test case to see if we can move these spending bills, which includes state and foreign operations spending, which is at $1.7 billion below 2019 levels. Uh, the Ag Bill with good conservative wins, and at Homeland Security, to stick it to Joe Biden, we 
on his border failed border policy where you've got fentanyl pouring in, six million people across the border under his watch, 151 on the terror watch list. Uh, so Homeland Security. And then finally, <clears throat> the defense bill, uh, which is something that uh, traditionally does not have problems uh, passing inside the Republican conference. You know, Congressman, last Friday I talked to Mike Lawler, your colleague from New York, and he's one of the moderate. You know, he, he's to my left. Yes. He's to your left. He wants to use the discharge petition if necessary. That is a win for uh, Hakeem Jeffries and Joe Biden, but it's better than shutting the government down. Do you think it's going to end up being the discharge petition? Well, look, if we don't get support from the Republican conference, then you will know that these four or five Republican uh, conservatives, uh, I won't even say conservatives, these They're Republican not. self-interested self-interested populists or people running for another office, uh, social media gurus, whatever they are, they will have turned the floor over to Democrats and over to Chuck Schumer. It doesn't make any difference if it's by the form of the discharge petition or taking up a Senate continuing resolution motion. The bottom line is the only reason that will happen is because of these four people who are going against taking conservative Republican wins on the budget. It makes no sense. It's totally, as you say, geared to their own self-interest. And they're not complying with something that I think about every day in the preamble of the Constitution, which is the general welfare clause. Uh, they're busting that and their oath to get this done in the right way. You know, I got a, an email uh, from my son who's on active duty. He said, do we get paid if the government shuts down? And I said, sorry, you don't. And I, I really do not understand how the Republican Party has become anti-military. The, the Tuberville holds in the Senate. I understand what his point is, but he's made it and it's been gotten. And now shutting down defense spending and cutting off the troops from their pay. Do these four understand? They're not going to win statewide. They all have military bases in South Carolina and Florida. Maryland board Matt Rosendale may not know that Montana has a considerable military vote, but North Carolina ship has got it. The military doesn't forget this stuff, Congressman. No, look, the uh, the communities that support our men and women in uniform uh, in North Carolina and Montana and uh, Florida, God, my gosh, the panhandle of Florida, hello, uh, these folks need to hear, the congressmen need to hear from uh, their community-based advisory boards, the Chamber of Commerce, the Military Families Association, to let them know this is really ridiculous. We've just moved the NDAA uh, to conference. That was a good vote on the House floor. We got it off the House floor. That's good. And we need to pass the defense appropriations bill. We're all claiming uh, that we're concerned about great power competition with Iran, Russia, and China, giving our guys and gals in uniform a 5.2% pay increase. And yet we have this deleterious nonsense on the House floor by a handful. Now, let me close by talking about Speaker McCarthy. I think he's got a unique skill set for this conference because you got the moderates, Mike Lawler and the guys over on the left side of the Republican caucus. And then you got the wrecking ball crew and the knucklehead caucus over on. They're not the right winger. They're just self-interested statewide candidates who are going to lose, if I have anything to say about it, if they do this. What levers does the speaker have on both ends of the caucus? Well, it's very similar, and it's so reminiscent of his 15-round uh, victory to become Speaker in January and his leadership, the only leader in Washington to get a debt ceiling deal across uh, the Congress. It's because he's got good self-confidence. He's a good leader. He's a good communicator. And look, 95% of Republicans in the House and a bunch of Democrats uh, appreciate his leadership. And so that leadership, if he stays true to it, 
uh, he'll see us through this. Uh, but look, McCarthy's done a good job countering uh, Biden and the fact that we have a Democratic-controlled uh, Senate. This is never the easiest role for a speaker, and he's done a good job. Well, if we can just get to November uh, next year, I believe your majority will increase if they don't shut down the government. But I've been around doing this since 1990. Every government shutdown, no matter when it occurs, is blamed effectively on Republicans. I've learned that lesson. Uh, there, There is no denying that. Has that been your experience, Congressman Hill? Uh, it has been my experience. And you're putting a guy like Mike Lawler you just talked about in Westchester County, suburban uh, New York, in trouble. He's in, a tr- he's in a Biden plus 13 district, but he's an excellent representative who knows every aspect of his district. He's doing a fine job representing him. They voted for him. He wants to be reelected. But this is the kind of tough situation that you're putting one of those swing seats in California, in New York, into trouble. And we just can't have that. We've got to win those seats and then take three or four more seats back and have a bigger majority going into 2025. Congressman French Hill, thank you for joining me. Member of the Intel Committee, member of Financial Services and Foreign Affairs and a strong supporter of Speaker McCarthy and serious conservatives are. You get the rump on the right. It's just a rump on the right. Pay no attention to the statewide candidates and do not give them money. Stay tuned to Matt. I mean, Maryland born uh, Matt Rosendale. The, the Maryland stuff is going to make its way to Montana because only a Maryland Republican would vote the way you are. Stay tuned, America. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back, America. Senator Tom Cotton joins me. He is a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee. He graduated from Harvard Law School and Harvard undergrad. So he's a smart guy. Senator Cotton, good morning. Good morning to you. It's good to be on with you. Although sometimes I think the Senate Intelligence Committee may be an oxymoron. Well, I got to ask, as a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and specifically as a Harvard Law grad, do you know how much a gold bar, a standard gold bar weighs? (laughs) I do not. I know it's heavy. Um, it's 27 pounds. So I am curious. I, I, I didn't know. I, I kind of figured that HLS graduates wouldn't know something as ordinary as that. But it's 27 pounds. When a senator comes back from abroad, do you go through customs? Uh, you do, Hugh. Yeah, you have to fill out the normal custom sheet and you're subject to normal customs rules. And I see where you're driving on this with Senator Menendez. I mean, he came back with a, with a gold bar from Egypt, which I think is well above the... Uh, value one would have to declare um uh, it probably should have been done have you ever have you ever been stopped by a ts i mean you're a senator and they've got like a little aura around you as you move through dulles 
I don't know how he got the gold bars back in. That's my question. I have very specific questions. Did anyone not notice the gold bars? Did that come up? <laughs> no, it, is, it is a good question, Hugh. Um, it is a good question. It's uh, something I'm sure that Senator Menendez will have to answer sooner or later, and that a lot of his Democratic colleagues uh, may have to answer today as well when they get back to Washington after having dodged the press on this for three days. I just, I just, I think it's the greatest story ever. He's not my favorite Democrat, Senator Goldbard, Bob. All right, let me get to the serious stuff, Senator. The semaphore put out a blockbuster an hour ago. In the spring of 2014, senior Iranian foreign foreign ministry officials initiated a quiet effort to bolster Tehran's image and positions on global security issues, particularly its nuclear program, by building ties with a network of influential overseas academics and researchers. They called it the Iran Experts Initiative. The officials working under the uh, President Hassan Rouhani congratulated themselves on the impact of the initiative. At least three of the people on the foreign ministry's list were or became top aides to Robert Malley, the Biden administration's special envoy on Iran, who was placed on leave this June following the suspension of his security clearance. Have you heard of this story before? Has this crossed your your radar before? Sure, I've I've long been aware of efforts by Iran's government to try to influence public opinion in the United States and Europe. That shouldn't surprise anyone. Uh, malevolent dictatorships like the Islamic Republic of Iran or communist China or Vladimir Putin, Russia, are trying to manipulate public opinion and democracies to suit their favor. Um, I think it raises more questions, not only for Rob Malley, who's been a water carrier for Iran for decades, uh, but also for Tony Blinken. Secretary of State about how he could have allowed someone like this, the highest reaches of our government, to be negotiating sensitive security matters uh, with the world's worst state sponsor of terrorism and an implacable adversary of America. Now, Senator, is there any real difference between grants, scholarships, travel, speaking fees, and gold bars? Because somehow the Iran Initiatives Project they got their influence some way. We don't know. But I want to point out to people, everything is convertible into cash. Gold bars are not particularly convertible, but they're obvious. What do you think the people on the receiving end of this operation got? Yeah, I think it's a good question, and it should be explored. Um, to the point about whether it's all that different from a gold bar, I'm reminded of an NBA basketball player who frequently got traded and was asked if, uh, he didn't like moving teams so much, and he just laughed and said, "The cash checks the same wherever I play." So that, that, uh, it's I, all convertible, and, and so okay. Menendez is catching the heat. But everyone on the Iran initiatives list ought to be getting the heat too. Senator, let's move to Attackums. I sent you a note over the weekend. When did you first urge Team Biden to send the Attackums, which were approved this week? Because I think it's at least February of this year. Did you find at anything least. earlier? At least, uh, at least February, Hugh. Um, it, it may have been earlier. I mean, for that matter, I, I can't remember any time in which I oppose any weapons delivery to Ukraine. My point from the very beginning, even before the war started, to try to prevent the war from happening, which would have been the best outcome, obviously, is that we should provide Ukraine everything they need to defend their territory. Once the war did start, we should have provided them immediately with everything they needed to fight back the invasion. You know, even six weeks, two months into the war, Hugh, it was obvious the Battle of Kiev had been won and was winding down and Ukraine would sh- or Russia would shift to eastern Ukraine, which required a different kind of weapon, um, you know, on relatively flat plains, uh, you know, in which uh, Russia was going to be using heavy armor and artillery. But at every turn, Joe Biden has been racked by unwarranted anxiety 
about threats of Russian escalation. Uh, he's always given Ukraine just enough weapons, just in time to prevent them from losing, but never given them the weapons they need to simply win and take back their own territory from this unprovoked invasion by Russia. Um, that's one reason why the war has dragged on longer than any of us would have hoped and been bloodier than any of us would have hoped. And now you've got President Biden and his senior officials patting themselves on the back for finally providing these needful long-range missiles just at the very end of Ukraine's offensive after it's going to have to wind down in the next 30 days because of weather conditions in Ukraine. Now, Senator, the New York Times today has a story. The very first Abrams tank that we sent to Ukraine arrived yesterday. So when do you actually think the attackums will get there? Because I think they promised Abrams tanks last year sometime. Yeah, I mean, they should get there faster than the Abrams did, in part because Ukraine already has the HIMARS launchers that these long-range missiles can be used for. Abrams are obviously something that takes a little bit more time to train. I met some of the Ukrainian crews on the actual tanks uh, last month when I was in uh, Germany with the Arkansas National Guard, uh, where the Ukrainians were training on these tanks. But they should have had these months ago. They should have had them more than a year ago. Remember, in the early days of the war, when you had European countries that wanted to provide Ukraine with F-16s, and Joe Biden vetoed it, and the argument was, well, it will take a year to get them trained up. Well, wouldn't it have been nice for Ukraine to have more F-16s and trained up on it this February, as opposed to next July? Uh, this is, again, a, an example of Joe Biden pussyfooting around, engaged in hesitant half measures that have done nothing but prolong this war and make it harder for Ukraine to defend its own territory. Now, Senator, Republicans in the Senate are overwhelmingly in favor of additional aid for Ukraine. House Republicans, I believe, a strong majority, but not overwhelmingly favor more aid to Ukraine. There is a significant, though, uh, not anywhere near a majority of Republicans in the House oppose Ukrainian aid. When you have a good conversation with people, not talking points, but when you actually sit down and talk with them, what do you tell them about why you support Ukraine and why we ought to send more aid to them and get it there sooner? Well, uh, it's important for, for not just members of the House and Senate, but uh, you know, your listeners and all Americans know that we're supporting Ukraine not simply because we admire their, their courage and their pluck and their skill, which we do, we support them because it's good for America. It's just like why Ronald Reagan supported, say, solidarity in Poland, or why he supported the Contras in Nicaragua. He admired them, yes, but ultimately it was in America's interests and in our global struggle against Soviet Russia. Uh, and that's the case in Ukraine as well. If Western will falters in Ukraine, if Ukraine has an unsatisfactory settle- settlement imposed upon it, Vladimir Putin will no doubt be viewed as the victor here. Um, he'll be able to begin to rebuild his military. They're already producing missiles at higher rates than they were, were when the war started. And next on the block would be the rest of Ukraine, or it could be Poland or a Baltic state. Maybe now, Senator, I, we don't believe in regime change, but the only way Putin leaves other than in a box, you know, because of natural causes, is because the Ukrainian war drags him down. Are you op- optimistic about Russia post-Putin, or are you pessimistic about Russia post-Putin? Um, I think a healthy degree of pessimism about Russia is always warranted, Hugh, whether it's czarist, communist, or Putinist Russia. As I said during the uh, Wagner group mutiny back in June, uh, it's America's concern which strongman governs in Moscow. Our concern 
is that Russia not feel emboldened uh, to continue to uh, press its war in Ukraine and potentially even take that war into NATO territory, and even more in our vital national security interest, that communist China not learn dangerous lessons from Ukraine, uh, that they can go for the jugular in Taiwan and expect Western will to fold immediately or fold very quickly in terms of their timelines. These, look, these wars here can sometimes happen as the critics of our support for Ukraine, say, in places that most Americans couldn't pick off the map. Well, you know, most Americans, you might not have been able to pick Manchuria off the map in 1931 or pick Abyssinia off the map in 1935, but if the League of Nations hadn't been humiliated in Manchuria, or Great Britain had closed the Suez Canal with Mussolini's warships in 1935, the history of World War II might have been very different. Senator, I want to close by asking about the funding dilemma. Congressman Hill, French Hill, was on last hour talking about how conservatives in the House want to get uh, the wins locked in from the debt ceiling deal. I know that Republicans in the Senate do as well. What do you expect to happen? Leader McConnell is trying to thread the needle here as is Speaker McCarthy. But what do you expect is going to happen? Well, Drew, I gather that the House is coming back in a session day and will vote uh, to start uh, debate on four different uh, spending bills, the defense bill uh, among them. I hope that uh, passes today. And then as that debate moves forward, uh, I think Speaker McCarthy hopes to pass a short-term funding bill to allow the House to continue in the orderly consideration of those spending bills. Again, I hope that happens. And, and we will follow that. I will talk uh, with you later in the day about that, Senator. Thank you for joining me. Remember, if you see Senator Menendez today, to pass along my interview request, because there's lots I want to learn about customs and TSA from him. <laughs> All right, you. I honestly, I, I, I defy anyone not to have their blood pressure going up when they go through customs and they're returning to the United States. Thank you, Senator Cotton. Because you go through, and the last thing you want to do, because you've been standing in line for an hour is to actually have people go through your luggage. Now, I don't buy anything abroad because I don't even bring anything back abroad. Back when I smoked cigars, I haven't smoked cigars in a decade now, The I'd put a Cuban on the top of the luggage because you're not supposed to bring those in the United States, but they give you a pass for one or two. And But if they took it, that wasn't the end of the world. Uh, that's a Cuban. Never lie, never lie, never lie to a government official. Never lie to a government official. And that's a felony, which Mr. Menendez is going to find out pretty soon. But I do believe that a gold bar is a giveaway. I do not know, and I am looking for legacy media to go and ask. Fields of gold, oh, Robert Menendez. Bump. Generalissimo. Um, can we please begin? How many bumps can we find for gold bars, Bob? Oh, I could do three days worth. We we still haven't done, you know, the power of gold. We haven't done uh, gold on the ceiling by the black. There's all sorts of gold songs. Now, I've been uh, alerting people to Birch Gold for a long time. They're a sponsor of the show. Right. And I never tell anyone to buy a gold bar because a gold bar is actually a fairly unwieldy thing to have, right? If you... If you want to have a gold bar, you'd better have a safe deposit box. And I'm not sure why you want a gold bar. Actually, you you know what? I think my granddad in the old jewelry business, I think he actually had a couple gold bars. Back back a long time ago, I think he had them. Sinister Dell's dad? Yeah. Would he like shave it to make rings or something like that? No, I think he just kind of squirreled some away. I think, you know. Now, I want to ask you, you, you are a, uh, we are 
the beneficiary of a sponsorship by MyPhDWeightLoss.com. We are. And once a day, I remind people that if they really want to lose weight, listen to Dwayne. He lost 50 pounds over three months. He's kept it off for a year. How many gold bars did you lose? Uh... Well, I lost, I guess, technically one, but technically a 50-pound bar. I don't know how much does a gold bar weigh. Well, it's like an unladen swallow, right? It's a different scale. Well, I don't know. It's a different scale. But but what's a gold bar weigh? Uh, They measurement ounces, right? I don't don't know anything about gold bars. They they Uh, weigh them in troy ounces, which is a different scale. I don't know what the actual conversion weight is to a... You don't know how much you've lost in gold bars after the setup for this this bit today. My PhD weight loss. No, because I didn't know you were going to go for that. 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. Did Harley come in with a helpful bit of misinformation? 27.4 pounds. 27.4 pounds. So you didn't even lose two gold bars. No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that amuses you. I see. Different ways to calculate Dwayne's weight loss. <laughs> in, in, in how many legs of Bob Menendez's pants. Yeah, that's it, Ticket. Yes. That's it. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> Tommy Flanagan for the win. Um, so you lost less than two gold bars, but it's still a pretty effective program, isn't it? And you can lose weight and not get indicted. That's the added benefit. <laughs> <laughs> Eight six. What are we going to do with Menendez? Do, are we praying every day that he stays in the Senate? Uh, he's like you know uh, Hunter Biden's spirit uh, spirit yeah, brother. Right? I never knew that gold bars could be so radioactive. But we saw Sherrod Brown sprinting for the cameras yesterday. He's not going to leave voluntarily, though. I'll tell you that. No, much. he's not. But Bob. Uh, but but uh, the. Uh, Sarah Brown is a senator from Ohio. He's going to not going to be the ex-senator from Ohio come December, January of 2025. Right. Was sprinting to the microphones yesterday to call on uh, Senator Goldbars to resign, realizing that every Democrat is now under suspicion of having gold bars in their pockets. Because, I mean, right. if there's one, there's two, right? Of course there is. And the thing is, I just love Menendez is looking at all the Democrats running from him saying, all of you are racist. That's yeah, just you're all spectacular. Racist. And and none of you could carry gold bars back from each. You know, I think he's actually got to be pretty physically fit to get all that. It was in his luggage, right? It was his luggage. He had he had wads of cash sewn into his pe- into his clothes, into his pockets. He's not even a very good crook. So I mean, I mean, seriously, haven't they Snidely heard about whip, Snidely Whiplash was was more covert than that. I, I just, just, I do not believe anyone could be that dumb. But, but it is not dumb if you need to lose gold bars. One, two, three gold bars of weight. Go to eight six four six four four nineteen hundred myphdweightloss.com. Welcome back, America. Gold Bar music in honor of Senator Gold Bar's Menendez. Bethany Mandel is the author of Stolen Youth. She's also a phenomenally successful blogger, columnist, and influencer. Good morning, Bethany. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I like want to put that on my on my tombstone. I, you know, I love your new successful. backdrop. You've moved again. There are more man- mo- rooms in the Mandel house than I could possibly imagine. Where is this? I... I just have to hide all the time. And this is this is where I've chosen to hide today. This is our library. All right. 
Uh, Bethany, I want to ask two questions related to you as a young mother of, of many children. One, do you care about what the hijinks are going on in Congress? Does it even attract a minute of your attention? No, except if they close the parks, that would bother me. Other than that, absolutely not. And truth be told, I've barely been following it. That's what I, I think these folks, the obstructionist Republicans are counting on people like you sending them money yeah. and you're not you're not yeah. paying attention. They're dummies. Uh, question number two. What do you want asked at the Republican debate tomorrow night as a young mom? Yeah, I mean, I want to see a super duper focus on education. I, I think that a lot of Republicans are rightfully concerned about all of the sexualization that's happening in schools. But I think that the absolute free fall in test scores, which I mean, listen, my homeschooled kids have never taken a test. I don't put a lot of stock in tests, but they indicate that there's something deeply wrong in the American school system. And it's in a free in a free fall. In yeah, Baltimore, the test taking population is, my, is a control group. We know that the test yeah, taking, yeah. we can we can track it over years and we know that public schools are failing terribly. Yep. In Baltimore, there were 13 schools where not a single student tested proficient. And in the top five schools, only 11 percent tested proficient in math. And proficient is like the floor of what they should be able to do. So how do you frame that for the seven people who will be on the stage? Asa Hutchinson dropped off. Everybody else comes back, including Doug Burgum. Asa, we hardly knew you. But how would you frame the education issue in a question? I I would say what do you think is the most pressing issue in American education? And if it's not success, if it's not merit, then that's immediately disqualifying. And what would you do as president of the United States to, to make things better? Because ultimately, the federal government should not have a lot of control over what's happening on a state to state basis. So what does the president see his or her role being as, you know, interfacing with the American education system? All right. Now I want to ask you about Randy Weingarten. She has a tweet out today holding up allegedly banned books. There is no book banning going on in the United States. Some parents want pornographic materials removed from school libraries, and that's not book banning. And even if uh, those books are taken off, it's not book banning. What does Randy does Randy Weingarten think people are stupid when she holds up to kill a mockingbird? I, does she really think we're that stupid? I, the other book, and I was that's why I turned around the other book, which I have up here. <laughs> is Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl was banned, quote unquote, by left wingers who were offended by his use of words like fat and chubby and all these things. So to hold up a Roald Dahl book is such chutzpah because I'm sorry, Randy, it's your team that's doing the banning on that. And I bought that box set as an extra because of that, because the publisher decided they were going to start whitewashing the entire series. And I was like, I better grab that again because I had lent my first box set to Mary Catherine Ham, who you can ask where that is when you talk. Yeah, to her yeah, on yeah good luck with that. That's in pieces. That's been cut up in the pasteboard now. Yep. Yeah. But, but so when all of the news. Yeah. So, I mean, th that it, it's just chutzpah. But, well, chutzpah is a secular technical term that most of my Pittsburgh Steeler fans won't understand. She's lying, isn't she? I mean, it's yes. just a lie. Yes. yes. And not only is it a lie, it's peeing on my leg and saying it's raining. Like yeah. it's her team that's doing the banning when it comes to Roll Doll. Yeah. So my last question, do you think that Republicans are smart enough to figure out that 
the education issue is the submarine issue in this election. I do. I think it's going to be the issue in Virginia in the off years. I think it's going to be the issue throughout the next 14 months. But Republicans have to figure it out. Do you think they will? I mean, do (laughs) your question started with, do you think Republicans are smart enough? And in in my head, I was like, nope, I don't know where he's going. But the answer is no. You're so cynical. You young people, you youngsters are so cynical. Uh, How are you teaching your kids about uh, the oldest ones, about Congress? We have one minute. Do you show them only a bill? Because it doesn't work that way anymore. I'm just wondering if you're sticking to the old pretend system. (laughs) No, not really. I mean, thank God, like we live in America's capital. So we take tours of Congress all the time. And I, you know, I'm cynical with them too. I'm like, well, this is where they pay people to. And it's also like, we have friends who work here. I'm like, well, he used to work on the Hill, but now he makes a lot more money peddling his influence on K street. So that's where that person works now. And this is how it all works. Uh, yeah, I'm raising really cynical people. It's probably, it's ultra, you are, you are raising appropriately skeptical people who realize that yes. folks like Matt Gates, Matt Rosendale, Ralph Norman, and Dan Bishop are not in it for anybody except themselves. Bethany Mandel, good to see you. Follow her on the site formerly known as Twitter, at Bethany Shondark. She's going to change that someday to Bethany Mandel so we don't confuse the Steelers fans. But not today is not that day. Good morning, Glory America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. You do it live in Studio North. Did you know that on this day in 1960, all right, so we're talking... 63 years ago, the first presidential debate ever occurred that was televised. President Kennedy and future President Nixon, then Senator Kennedy and Vice President Nixon met on the stage. And tomorrow night, we had a presidential debate of a sort at the Reagan Library, as I was just talking about with David Trulio. I'm glad to welcome on now uh, Emily Seiden, who is the CEO and president of Americans for Prosperity. She's one of our great sponsors, and they're very interested in what got asked at the debate tomorrow night. Now, Emily, I want people to understand AFP and AFP Action do not endorse candidates. You're not going to talk about specific candidates in this, but you do sponsor the UUH show, for which I am grateful. Would you tell people about AFP and AFP Action to start us off? Well, AFP is a national grassroots organization. Uh, we have activists across all 50 states. And what we do is we advance public policy solutions that empower people to, to achieve their American dream through public policy that advances freedom and opportunity for every American. So if you want to be a part of that, go to americansforprosperity.org. Emily, what would you like to hear talked about tomorrow night? I know you've had, what, four and a half million voter contacts already in this cycle. That's door knocks or telephone calls with live actual voters. Uh, we're going to have 80 million people. They've talked to 5% of the electorate. What would they like to hear talked about tomorrow night? Well, they want to hear what people are going to do to address their economic concerns. Out of all of those four and a half million folks that we have called or knocked on their doors and spoken with, 55% of them are focused on inflation. Bidenomics is not working for them. And frankly, no other issue that we've talked to them about has cracked even the 10% mark. Um, the bottom line, frankly, is that voters in, in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and on and on, they're worried that America's best days are behind us. Uh, Emily Seiden, when you talk to someone about inflation, they can be they can be talking about one uh, they can be talking about one thing, meaning that they can't make ends meet, or they can be talking about the fact they're afraid for their retirement. What is it generally when you talk? Because there there are two buckets of people: those who can't put food on the table, and those who look at the fact that their retirement isn't up to five percent inflation. 
well, by and large, the folks that we're talking to, you know, they're they're having the experience when they go to the grocery store and um, they have to put food back on the shelves because they can't afford it. Or they go to the checkout line and the first number is way higher on the total than than what they expected. And that's what that's what the voters that we're talking to are telling us that they want to hear tomorrow night on the debate stage. They want to hear about the failure of Bidenomics and the alternative vision to get our country back on track. Emily Seidel is the CEO of Americans for Prosperity, and she's our guest. She's also our sponsor. Emily, it may not surprise you, I don't do the shopping in the family. So last week, getting ready for the debate, I asked the fetching Mr. Hewitt, run down the prices for me because I never want to have a, a moment where you don't know what something costs. And the bread that she buys, she buys Dave's bread. Six dollars a loaf? I said, what? And she said, yeah. And I, I thought to myself, how in the world would my mother had three boys or anyone with four kids or five kids? How in the world do they pay for, for food? Is that what you're hearing? Absolutely. And, you know, Americans for Prosperity, we've been doing these events across the country uh, where we've been going to gas stations and grocery stores as the two places where inflation is hitting people's pocketbooks the hardest. And we're hearing similar stories from 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 folks across the country. So, for instance, I was just on the phone the other day with one of our leaders in Wisconsin. She hosted an event at a at a grocery store. These events, we give out twenty five dollar gift cards so that people can carry those into the grocery store and and do their shopping. But in the course of the event, we talked to them about the root causes of inflation and importantly, what what their voice can do to drive solutions to the problem. And I'll tell you two quick stories. One story is a, a, a young mom who took the $25 gift card. And, and in the course of the conversation that we had with her, she said, because of that gift card this week, she wasn't going to have to choose between some of her grocery list and diapers. Another mom said uh, for the first time in three years that she was going to bring a treat home for her family, and she bought a Hershey bar. These are the kinds of uh, voters that candidates tomorrow night need to remember that they're talking to on stage. Yes, they're debating one another. They're answering the moderator's questions, but they're talking to the voters who are really struggling under this Biden economy. Two data points, Emily. The first is that the Wall Street Journal identifies 26% of the electorate as persuadable. They are not Democrat. They are not Republican. They're going to wait to see what the pitch is. This comes from Bloomberg, courtesy of Ellis News Items this morning. I don't know if you read news items every morning. It's the last thing I read before I go on the air. Americans outside the wealthiest 20% of the country have run out of extra savings and now have less cash on hand than they did when the pandemic began, according to the latest Federal Reserve study of household finances. For the bottom 80% of households by income, bank deposits and other liquid assets were lower in June this year than they were in March of 2020. That is a disaster, Emily. You're too, I don't ever remember that happening over the course of five years. I just, I don't. This is, this is why we're hearing from Americans that they're so worried that, that our best days as a country are behind us. They're concerned about the future, not just for themselves, but for their children and their grandchildren. And they're looking for a leader who can solve for these problems in this election cycle and really lead the country forward and, and put the failure of, of Bidenomics in the history book of bad ideas. What are the solutions that AFP advocates for? And what are the solutions that Americans for Prosperity Action advocate for? Well, we believe that a better way forward is, is lower inflation, 
energy creation, and worker flexibility. And so, for instance, there are things immediately that Congress and the administration could be doing. We could make energy affordable again for people. The Senate should pass H.R. 1, the, the energy bill that came out of the House. Um, we, we can give employees and employers the flexibility to do meaningful work. We can pass things like the Employee Rights Act to protect worker freedom and fuel a flexible workforce for the future. And you know what? We've got to hold government responsible for the decisions that they've been making on spending that have fueled this inflation. And so, you know, let's force government to balance its books the same way we do at our kitchen tables. Let's pass budget reforms. Let's lower wasteful spending. And let's address the debt crisis that has been plaguing our country for too long. Let's address it for good. There's $35 trillion in American bonds out there. I was reading that in the journal this morning as well. The debt crisis is real. The interest cost on that is an overhang on the economy. Emily, how do people get involved with Americans for Prosperity or Americans for Prosperity Action? Because you actually have an organization that endures beyond elections. It's not just a one cycle, one candidate election. AFP is out there working issues over the course of elections in the middle of the spectrum. How do people get involved? Well, if you want to get involved on these issues right now, you can go to prosperityispossible.com. You can also go to americansforprosperity.org. And AFP Action is a super PAC that is getting engaged in this election cycle. To give you a sense of scale between AFP and AFP Action last cycle, we were in 457 races across the country. We we knocked on 7 million doors um, together. Uh, voices in this country can be powerful voices for change. And so that's what we're looking to do in this election cycle as well. And if people want to get involved, like I mentioned earlier, uh, we've got activists in all 50 states. If you want to make a difference, we can equip and empower you to make that difference no matter where you are in our country. Emily Seidel, who runs your Ohio operation? Because that's the most important state. I'm just from Ohio, so I always ask. Donovan O'Neill. All right, Donovan is our guy. And does he live in Columbus? Is he out there advocating for solutions at the state house or is all federal policies? It's both state and federal policies. And he is all over the map in Ohio. So you'd have trouble tracking him down because he's driving all over the place all the time. But he's your man. Now, now talk to me a little bit about if you were the king of the forest, not queen, not duke, not earl, and you got to ask a question or two tomorrow night, what would you ask? Because there's an art to this. You don't want to end up with talking points or scripted responses. How would you focus people? Would you ask the price of bread question? Because that's, we got one minute. How, what would you ask Emily Seidel? You know, I would ask them exactly what they're going to do to solve for this inflation crisis, to get past the talking points, not let them go through, you know, the, the platitudes, but actually what are the concrete steps that they're going to take to address this crisis for so many Americans right now? americansforprosperity.org, americansforprosperity.org. I've got it right. I'm going to say it one more time. Go to americansforprosperity.org and become part of an organization that actually cares about the economic future of your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandchildren, if you've got any of those. Emily, thank you so much. Americans for Prosperity, one of our most valued. Come back and talk to me the day after the debate, and we'll see if they hit your points. That's a good test. Come back, Emily, on Thursday, and we'll see if they did anything that you approved of on Wednesday night. Stay tuned, America. When the government used emergency edicts during COVID to restrict the gathering and worship of churches, three pastors facing the risk of imprisonment, unlimited fines, and their own churches being ripped apart, 
took a courageous stand and reopened their doors in the face of a world that chose to comply. The Essential Church is a feature-length documentary that explores the struggle between the church and government throughout history. This fascinating story uncovers those who've sacrificed their lives throughout history for what they truly believe in. Rediscover why the church is essential and how we prove that this stand remains true from a scientific, legal, and most importantly, biblical perspective. This is not your typical movie. It'll change your life. You need to see this movie with your friends and family. The Essential Church is streaming today exclusively at SalemNow.com. That's Essential Church, streaming at SalemNow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.